Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Well, you know you're listening to Top Rope Nation. You might know I'm Jim Ross, the voice of AEW, and we're glad you're with us. We're going to have one hell of a podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah. Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it. It's the best thing going today. We're back with you, episode 163 of Top Rope Nation, and boy do I have a treat for you. (laughs) Long-time listeners of the show, you're going to be excited. We got someone back on the line who hasn't been with us, I think it's been a week and a half since he's been on the show. So bringing him back on the line, kind of been running into some scheduling conflicts, trying to get us all together. So, you know, Justin and I did the show last week with BJ and Jeremy with the two jabronis, super pod, I guess you could call it. And then on, on Monday's show, I was with Garrett from uh, the Fight Game Media podcast. So today, here as we record on Wednesday afternoon, it's back to being the Ryan and Kyle show, like the early days of Top Rope Nation. So we're here and we're bringing you back on the podcast after a week and a half. How you been, Kyle? Great. It's the afternoon. I am fresh. I am not drunk. And I am ready to rock and roll, baby. <laughs> I'm not used to this. I'm sitting down in my office. I got the window open. I'm looking outside. It's daylight. Usually when we record, it's like late hours. So this is much, much different. It might bring a, a little bit different energy to the show. We shall see. But we've got some stuff to talk about, Kyle. We've got the agenda in front of us. There's a lot going on in wrestling this week, uh, both good and bad. And I think the you know when we were talking on Monday night, the thing that we wanted to make sure to talk about was what happened on Raw. And uh, this has kind of been the big topic on social media the last few days, and that is, of course, the Raw Underground reveal. WWE built this up throughout the show. There were multiple insiders on Twitter throughout the day noting that you wanted to tune in and and to see what they had planned, that it was something very, very different. I think Voices of Wrestling had the best report out ahead of time that I saw. I mean, they had a lot of the details, the fact that there was going to be the dancers, that Shane McMahon was involved, uh, the shoot fighting aspect of it, or, you know, I guess they're trying to make it look like shoot fighting. Uh, (laughs) Very divisive among the fan base, Kyle. What did you think of Raw Underground? Well, it would be foolish to completely write it off or to emotionally invest in it after week one, I think. Uh, As wrestling fans, we really need to stop evaluating things in such a vacuum. Mm -hmm. I I think it goes for matches, angles, whatever. I think we're so fixated on, hey, this happened Monday. We've got a podcast Wednesday. Let's, you know, forever judge this thing after one week. That's a mistake. Um, Watching it, the thought entered my mind. That Raw Underground could, and I do stress the term or word could, work as a modern spin on the old squash format. 
Okay. In the sense yeah. that I'm looking at these guys, okay, they had some established guys in there throwing around some no names. It sort of looked impressive the way it was shot. I don't know if you would agree with that, but I, that yeah. was like to my, my initial thought like after seeing a couple of like a couple of the quote-unquote fights. I'm like, "Hey, you know, maybe that's what they're going for here. The modern spin on the old squashes." Yeah, in that regard, I could see it working. Uh, I do think they need to refine the way they're doing it as far as... You you mentioned the way it's shot. Uh, I think the backdrop's pretty cool, although I think the dancers just kind of awkward. I don't know. I I think they could maybe drop that. It's just the way they kept cutting to the dancers was kind of... I don't know. I didn't think it really fit. Uh, (laughs) Kelly Kelly's expose. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Too many camera cuts, though. I mean, that was a a big problem among a lot of people. And we know that that's a, a trend. That's a theme in this company. But... You know, if they, if they stop doing that, it would give it a, the grittier look that they're probably going for. I mean, less camera cuts. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I think it's not all negative. I do think that there is a way to make this work. And uh, quite frankly, your your friend, uh, Mr. Dolph Ziggler, Kyle, your good buddy, <laughs> this might have been the best use of Dolph Ziggler in years, to be honest with you. I mean, here's a guy who actually has that real grappling background in college and they throw him in there and you know I could see Dolph Ziggler working out in that setting you know to maybe kind of rejuvenate uh, his character a little bit I thought Lashley looked the coolest to be honest so all right we've taken the glass half full approach right but it wouldn't be a wrestling podcast without looking at the glass from a half empty perspective right so <laughs> I do have some questions regarding Raw Underground one what is it leading to that's the key question yeah. Are they looking this at this as a vehicle to create a new star? Um, guy they called from NXT, they gave him a new name, Davocado. I seriously doubt that this is a vehicle for him, but if it's a vehicle for somebody, I guess that could be okay. But what is fair uh, here is to be skeptical because the WWE's track record, Ryan, as you know, is not good when it comes to following through or paying off angles. So to if, say the least. Yeah, so if they just do this for a few weeks or even a few months, it doesn't lead to anything, then yeah, it's stupid. And for the record, the same thing would apply to the new group, Retribution. Mm-hmm. You know, the Vince McMahon's answer to Antifa. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. That's not even in our show notes. I was going to ask you, do you think that's the inspiration here? <laughs> yeah, it, that that's the key is what is the – it's not just how it was the first week. Were you excited about it? Was it interesting? Was it new? I mean, those are all kind of ancillary questions here. The key is, um, what does it go to? And then we can look, and if it goes nowhere, then yeah, it's a complete waste of time. But if in six months this has created a new star or something, uh, then it's then it's okay. Uh, other questions I have with Raw Underground is... <laughs> What exactly is the motivation slash stakes for these characters to participate? You mentioned Dolph Ziggler. I mentioned Lashley. Um, you know, we saw the Viking Raiders. Like, why were they there? Did they just, like, hear about it and decide to show up and they just want to throw down? I mean, I guess as a one-week thing that works, but that's going to have to be explained moving forward. What is the character motivation to be a part of this? Um, right. Also, poor Dio Madden, by the way. <laughs> 
were we supposed yeah, like, to just, no explanation like why were is we he supposed here? to forget his uh <laughs> very brief tenure as raw announcer because he was one of he was the guy who got squashed by shelton benjamin yeah uh for those of you who may have missed it or may have forgotten who dio madden is it just didn't work out for him his raw commentary gig i know vince was very low on him i can tell you that <laughs> i think vince was ready to pull the plug after match two on poor Dio Madden in his commentary. But, uh, so he was squashed. And then the whole Shane Hurt business dynamic, that'll be interesting. So I did not watch this live. I read about I didn't watch it till last night, Tuesday. And when I read about it, it, the way it read was the Hurt business sort of took over the gimmick. And I was like, well, that's odd. They just introduced it. And you have somebody new taking it over. Is Shane going to be mad about it? Is there going to be a Shane Hurt business feud? But then when I watched it, that's not really how it played out. Like, Shane seemed cool with the Hurt business, um, you know, owning the ring, I guess, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. And I don't know if um, where that's going, if anywhere. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, so is the, is the whole purpose of this, this uh, fight club downstairs, like, so that you can impress... Shane McMahon, and then he can push you on the main roster? I don't know. I, I don't yeah, really that know. Would that would be lame. That would be really lame. It, the best thing that this can do is if somebody new shows up and just looks like really awesome, and people are like, I want to see this guy, you know, do the quote unquote um, traditional wrestling matches. Yeah. That, that, that's that would be the best be possible used, yeah. outcome of this. Um, you know, Brawl for All was, of course, intended for Dr. Death to be a world t- title contender for Steve Austin. We know how that turned out. Now, this mm-hmm. is not that. It's not Brawl for All. Um, obviously, it's carefully scripted what they're doing. But uh, I don't know. We shall see. The WWE's track record's not good. And then, you know, the same everything we said about Raw Underground can be applied to Retribution. I know you said you wanted to ask about that. Who is it? Needs to be a good logical path. Like, once it's revealed, like, why did they do this? You know, the idea of, like, throwing Molotov cocktails at a generator and screwing with WWE's production. Sorry, that doesn't really interest me. (laughs) It actually just kind of makes for a worse show with the lights flickering. Yeah. So, and I thought the most interesting thing, Ryan, I don't know if you saw this. WWE social media, I guess, jumped the gun announcing the group because they really didn't have that much for them. No, I didn't see this. Oh, you, you didn't see this? So, uh-uh. all right, leading up to the show, there was quite a bit of tweets. I even think like the WWE on Fox account had it where they were like, a new group is set to, you know, debut in WWE tonight. And so everyone's like, all right, well, who's this going to be? And all we really got was just, again, what was it? Three, four guys. And I don't know, maybe it, one was a girl or maybe it could have been girls. All girls. Yeah, I think there's five people and maybe one of them was a woman, I okay. think. They're throwing lob and Molotov cocktails at a generator. Right. There was really no new group introduced. And there was a report that social media set the WWE social media department sent that out a week too early. Mm. <laughs> that thing about the new group, because really it was just kind of a blink and you'll miss it type thing. But, you know, now they've named them already, which that's odd, isn't it? Yeah. How do they know the name? <laughs> They don't know yeah. who's in it, but we know what yeah. they're calling them. Yeah. So I don't know. WWE kind of has learned that this group is calling themselves Retribution. I mean, is this group setting out press releases to the <laughs> WWE? That sort of is counterintuitive to the whole idea of the gimmick that they're just causing chaos, right? It's like, right. well, we're gonna we're gonna screw with your show, we're gonna mess with the production, but we'll also send you very nice uh, press releases explaining our motives. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting you pointing this out because 
I guess that makes sense because most of the interest going into Raw, you know, prior to the underground thing was that there was going to be this this new uh, faction. And a lot of the people I was talking to, like I talked to uh, a friend of mine after the show who didn't see it live and he wanted to know if they revealed who was in the group. I think that was, you know, if you if you hadn't followed what was going on throughout the day with this new production that they had planned that was going to be similar to Brawl for All, everyone else was kind of looking forward to the show because of this faction idea. And uh, I didn't, I didn't know it was WWE social media that kind of was pushing that narrative, but I heard about it and it seemed like that was the big interest in the show. And there really wasn't the payoff. You're right. It was just the, the power blips throughout the show and then the Molotov cocktail. And uh, it's kind of it. See, we didn't, we didn't really get any answers. So, um, Although, Kyle, as we got ready to record the show today and we had all kinds of audio issues, maybe it was Retribution attacking our, our show's production. Maybe <laughs> they, that's why my audio kept cutting out before we went on the air. <laughs> they were sick of our negative reviews of the product. <laughs> there you go. They're actually oh. working from Vince. So I don't know where that's going to go. It, and do they know where it's going to go? That's the key. They need to know where this is going to go. Because when you do... like masked men angles for lack of a better term can work as long as you've gotten you know who it's gonna be and the motives are logical you know even the black scorpion drew a rating at first right in wcw opposite sting the first clash he was on that match did a really good rating the problem was they had no idea who was gonna be the black scorpion and the whole thing petered out and then there was like stupid magic too that didn't help and that killed the whole thing so mm. I hope they already know who this is going to be and the motive is already set. Because if they don't, then it's going to fall flat on its face, most likely. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. But uh, I, I, I did want to kind of talk about who might be in the group, if we have any, uh, any ideas. Now, the one name that jumps out to me is Mustafa Ali because of the whole hacker thing getting dropped. <laughs> this seems like maybe they would have thrown him into this group once they got the idea to do the group. Um, but, I mean, if you look at the roster and the people that would be out for, quote, retribution, I, I'm not sure anyone really stands out unless you go down, you go down the line of the people that they released, you know, and if they were able to re-sign some of them and bring them back, maybe they could be out for retribution. But do you have any ideas? You know, that's too inside as far as I'm concerned. If you're just going to have to explain it. Yeah. yeah, Well, even if you explain it, like if this whole thing is a bunch of angry mid carters who aren't being pushed, I don't think that's a good storyline. I just don't. I could see it working for someone that was a little bit higher up, like a Rusev who hasn't been around and was released. You know, he comes back and he's going crazy. He's pissed. He wants retribution. Like maybe. That would, that, it would maybe work for him. But you're right. You know, a lot of the more undercard guys, it probably people, people wouldn't be invested in. But people have liked Rusev a lot. So I could see it working for him. But to come with five people, it would be a little difficult, I think. Yeah, and that's exactly like, oh, here's five guys who have gotten together and they're just pissed off about the way they've been treated that stuff usually doesn't click. It, it really doesn't, historically speaking. I mean, you know, show me an example of that working. Right. Like the mid-carters unite and, you know, we're going to be upset at the man. Um, it plays to a certain audience, but more often than not, it just doesn't get legs. It, it just doesn't. Um, it's fun. You mentioned the hacker, and I you know you tweeted about it earlier this week. <laughs> it is so fascinating to me that we've all just moved on from that without batting an eyelash. <laughs> 
this like big story they were pushing for weeks and weeks and weeks and just like gtv right yeah <laughs> and they just dropped it and the thing is everyone's like yeah of course they dropped it i can't stress how for the majority of the time i've watched wrestling i've been watching wrestling for 34 years that that just didn't happen <laughs> that right. you that you would see something on tv for weeks hyped and it was just went away without a mention. Mm-hmm. That, that's just not the way wrestling worked uh, really until the last 10 years. And now it just happens all the time. And, you know, if you talk about why is the WWE in the shape it's in ratings wise, I, that plays a part. It's yeah. bad storytelling. The irony of the WWE and it's, it's all about stories mantra is they're correct. It is all about stories. They just tell bad stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, think well about that. What, like, you show this thing for four. Oh, what's this? This seems interesting, and then it's just never spoken of again. I mean, other than like the Mariner, which was that Brutus Beefcake gimmick when he came out and like headbutted a few guys, mm. but then they decided eh, his face is he, he can't wrestle. His face is in too bad of shape. N- name me anything that that, that was just dr- introduced and dropped without a mention before the Attitude Era. <laughs> Um, man, you know, it, I mean, I'm sure, dive, that, you sure know, people to... are going to listen to this and they've got time to look it up. I'm sure there's going to be instances, but it didn't. It yeah. was very much an exception Rare. to the yeah. rule. It, it was just, you know, something that kind of came about. It, it did happen a little bit in the attitude era, to be fair, you know, when business is booming, but it just happens far too much now. And, and it's a problem. So we shall see. I, I think an interesting thing, right? Another big news item that broke this week is that they're running this payback pay-per-view like seven days after SummerSlam. <laughs> crazy. Uh, you know, shades of this Tuesday in Texas. Yeah. Is either Raw Underground or the Retribution Group going to play into that? Because I tweeted, unless if you've got a hell of an angle coming out of SummerSlam or some sort of gimmick show, man, running another pay-per-view seven days after what is theoretically your second or third biggest show of the year seems really odd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember when they did Greatest Royal Rumble after Mania? And that was only, what, like three weeks later or something? And we were like, man, that's really close to WrestleMania. Now they're doing a show literally a week later. But (laughs) again, those shows, as kind of dirty and filthy as they are... um, They're not seen as, like, uh, part of the... uh, What's the term for it? Like, part of the main lineage of pay-per-views. Oh, the canon. They sort of exist independent from what's going on uh, weekly on WWE television, right? They just bring back a bunch of old timers, have theoretical dream matches. There's some, you know, kind of gimmick deal for a trophy or something. You mentioned Greatest Royal Rumble. They've done a greatest tag team tournament before. So, yeah, those operate sort of independently from WWE television. This, theoretically, you would think, is not going to be like that. I don't think they're going to pay a bunch of, you know, old guys to come back. I don't think Goldberg's going to be on this show. I don't think Undertaker's going to be on the show. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Very, very bizarre. I mean, you would think that this would play a big part. I don't know how they think they can pull off two big shows within a week of each other, <laughs> given the, the, the direction of the business. And I was going to say no live crowds, too, in, in the excitement level. But apparently they're trying to get something together for SummerSlam. Uh, I think Meltzer City. said Atlantic City. Yeah, yeah. so I don't, they might have a few fans there. But who some, knows? Some, some people say the last two times they ran Atlantic City, it, it felt like there were no fans there for those WrestleManias. Yeah. Trump's mausoleum, as it was called by the dirt sheets back then. 
<laughs> yeah. So, oh my God, I don't know. There's, it's chaos, man. There's so much we could go into with this, with retribution and what's the motivation for retribution. And we mentioned the Antifa stuff. And I, I that was definitely my first uh, inclination, though, is Vince, Vince has been watching the news and he's yes. trying to think about how can I work this into a storyline? Because you know that's what he does. But, and so he saw the rioters and the protests and thought, this is perfect for wrestling. Yeah. But remember, it's non-political. Oh, like it has to be the motivation, don't you think? Yes. Oh, then he watched the news and uh, came up with, yes. Or somebody watched the news. Yes. Yes, I completely agree with that. What I really hope doesn't happen is they debut at SummerSlam and interrupt the main event causing a no contest. And somehow that leads to the need for a pay-per-view seven days later. Mm. Piss off the audience so they watch again. (laughs) That's, yeah. that's the strategy. You know, it's funny. The first time they did this, and I actually think we joked about this the last time I was on when we were talking about like worst pay-per-views ever. Because mm-hmm. didn't Justin mention this Tuesday in Texas? And yeah. I said that can't be considered because how great that Jake Savage angle was on that show. Yeah. But um, <laughs> they very like anyone who ordered Survivor Series that year got totally screwed because they pulled Savage and Jake off the card so they could work this Tuesday in Texas. They did a you know, a screw job finish in Hogan and Undertaker and ran it six days later. And the concept didn't work. Like this day, Tuesday in Texas did not draw well. And that's why um, they've never attempted anything like that since. Because mm-hmm. there was a thought process at the time, if you remember, they were going to try to do these like weekly pay-per-views almost. Yeah. And and there was just, you know, it bombed so badly. It was never spoken of again. Oh, so. man. Jesus. <laughs> So bad. And again, that you're you're running the risk that you're moving too fast to attract casual viewers. Yeah, which is another issue. All right, guys. Well, this has been a really fun discussion so far. We're not done yet, but before we go any further, we do have to throw a shout out to our good friends over at Bet Online and our brand new sponsors over at Deal Dash. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price that you would never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and it only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash.com is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code TOPROPE or DealDash.fm slash TOPROPE. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash top rope. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball finally kicked off this past week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory see what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. 
Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, let's let's uh let's shift gears here for a second. There was a big story in the news just before we hit record today. Everyone's been talking about it on social media. I tweeted out we're gonna we're gonna mention it on the show because it's been kind of the talk this morning and this afternoon. Um, Marty Janetti. I don't want to joke too much about this because I do think he's going through. He has been for a while. I yes. do think he has you know some issues. He was part of the CTE lawsuit against WWE. Uh, but he he put a, a message. I think it was on his Facebook account, and essentially it was like a public breakup note to a woman that he has been dating. And in the note, he mentioned uh, that when he was a teenager in I believe Columbus, Georgia, is where he yes. grew up. He uh, was working at a bowling alley, and was, I don't know if he was working there, but he was at a bowling alley. He was at a bo- bowling alley, and he was trying to buy some marijuana. And this guy <laughs> in there hit on him and it was uh, a gay man who then was basically dragged dragged him outside around the corner the way he put it and uh marty noted that that was the first time he made a man disappear so (laughs) a casual confession to murder apparently yes is that's that's how this came out um the police department last I saw in Columbus Georgia commented to TMZ that they are looking into it now uh, because he mentioned, didn't he mention a river? Yes. Yes. It was the, uh, pardon me, in the uh, south, uh, all you, all our southern listeners, if I botch this river name, the Chattahoochee River? He, he said something like they should have looked there or something. Yeah. That, yeah. That was the first time I made a man disappear, quote. He said, quote, that should have, they should have looked in the Chattahoochee River. And then he, and then as Meltzer writes it, before continuing to ramble about a Jamaican woman he was in love with. Yes. Jeanette so. is 60, so the alleged incident would have happened at some point in 1973. And you were, by the way, right, Ryan, when you said uh, that he did work at the bowling alley. That is true. I'm reading the report now. So, yeah, he was working at this bowling alley. So Buying, <laughs> buying, buying some weed on the job, too. Not the, yeah. Not, the, not the, the story I was expecting to see pop up on my news feed when I logged into Twitter for the first time today. But, uh, you know, that that's what was going on. And, uh <sighs> I don't even know what to say. Marty's he said some stuff on his social media in the past too relating to dating uh women or girls. I shouldn't and be laughing, by the way. Please edit that out. <laughs> it's uh it, it's uh it's disturbing and I hope Marty is you know getting the help that he needs at this point in time. I don't know obviously what's gonna come of the story. We'll have to, you know, stay yeah, tuned. I mean, if, but if, if he's true, deleted I mean, the he's post. He's gonna get a lot more than help, I have a feeling. Yeah, he's deleted the post, so that is now down, but of course there was numerous screenshots of it so the uh, police department is investigating it and uh make of this what you will you will find all kinds of memes on social media with the barbershop window and maybe that was actually a face turn and all kinds of stuff that i've seen on on social media today but strange very very bizarre story coming out from marty Janetti today i i love the final two paragraphs of the observer report or, the, or I should say the report on F4W Online. Janetti has been known to make outlandish claims on Facebook frequently, including a 2017 post where he had to cl- later clarify he didn't want to have sex with a woman he once considered his daughter. Yes. 
that was what I was referring star to. was part of the Rockers tag team with Shawn Michaels, and over three separate runs of the company, he held the tag team titles once with Shawn Waltman and won the Intercontinental Belt. Really, uh, kind of a, a tale of two different things there, those paragraphs. <laughs> that is I just, a shift in narrative. Yeah. Yes. Um, Jeez. Okay, you mentioned that outlandish behavior in this report too um from Meltzer did as well that this is nothing new for marty he's been in a downward spiral for quite some time i mean wasn't it actually you that texted like the thing on facebook where he was asking about a clearly underage chick yeah like not long ago this was like when this weeks ago that you yeah, said well, it that was to me? not not too long ago oh yeah. it was you too it was obviously you because you're remembering it yeah, so. yeah. okay so yeah there's that um <laughs> I can share this story. So the WrestleMania that was in Dallas, I was not there, but I had several friends there. And they were at whatever bar WrestleCon was at. And there were a lot of the old timers were drinking at the hotel bar. And Janetti was there just freaking bombed out of his mind. Uh, and looking to score coke pretty loud about it. Uh, was, definitely, was definitely looking to do it. And at one point, ran into the fountain in the middle of the hotel and just started like running around. Oh my God. So, oh. I mean, so Marty is, is a guy who has had problems for a long time. I mean, that's what led to his downfall in wrestling. You know, I, I've always not liked the term Marty Janetti of the tag team because it, it's used in a way, you know, it's used when like one of the guys is less skilled than his partner. Right, right, and that's actually not accurate with Marty. the The deal with Marty, it was just personal demons. Yes, I mean, he was a talented guy. For years, they wanted to split up the Rockers, but they actually didn't know which guy they were going to push. And but it came down to, and I think Sean mentioned this in his DVD, like I think Heartbreaking Triumph was the one where he's like, "I decided to clean up. Marty didn't, and mm-hmm. I made it. That made the decision really easy for WWE." Yeah, Marty was all, always an, a very good worker. Yeah. And you remember when, the, the, uh, when he got brought back, uh, but then that got messed up because he couldn't travel or something? There was something about, was he on parole or something? Like, WWE had wanted to re-sign him because they brought him back. Was this in the lead-up to the Angle-Michaels match? Oh, yeah, the 2005, yes. Yes, and that was had, the problem. He had that really good match with Kurt Angle. Uh, I think, I want to say SmackDown. And then they wanted to re-sign him. He did such a good job. But then, like, he couldn't travel because there was legal issues or something. I mean, he got fired in early 93 for failing a drug test. After yeah. he, and I, I think he had already failed the drug test before the match at the 93 rumble and they just had, they just did the match and fired him right away. And then they bring him back. He wins the intercontinental title in a great angle. Uh, he loses to Sean and what actually won 1993 match of the year. I don't think that really was the 1993 match of the year in WF, but it won it at the time. Um, him and one, two, three kid were a fun tag team, but yeah, I mean, these personal issues have just plagued him for 25 years and, you know, if this is true, it's, it's, that's really bad. Yeah. We need, I think we need to state that for the record. Yeah. You, you know, um, but, to, it, but to your point, like to say someone is the Marty Janetti, that implies that one guy is really, really great. And the other guy is not good at all. And that wasn't really the case with the rockers. They were both very skilled and Sean just no. cleaned up a little better. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you want to like call someone a 
severely less talented member of the team. Say he's the Stevie Ray of the team. Now, I know Stevie sometimes gets very upset when people, you know, make fun of him on so on you know, podcasts and the like. But whatever, if he hears that, he can rip me and threaten to kick my ass. I have no problem with that. <laughs> but you know, that's a more thing because Martin Day was a talented guy. It's just you know, I mean, again, though, if, if this is true, this is a guy with a lot of problems. If if you're in a spot where you're just like. It, even if it's not true, it's really terrible because that you're just like sort of casually talking about making people disappear in these Facebook rants. Right. That's not a place that anyone should be in. Right. So on that note, let's uh, shift gears <laughs> to our final topic today. And uh, this is uh, this <laughs> is kind of right turns you're navigating here, buddy. <laughs> this is uh, this is 90s related as well as we're looking at kind of back in time here. But uh, last night, Tuesday night on FS1, they aired at SummerSlam 92, really an iconic wrestling pay-per-view from the WWF at the time. And uh, they did a watch along on the social media apps that you could join. And CM Punk was on there. Renee Young was on there. I believe Bret Hart was on yes. there. Did you, you didn't watch this? I, I did take? not see the oh. the live watch along, but I might go back and check out some of it. Okay, I think Brett again made a point to talk about how much he carried Davy Boy Smith. Yeah. So if you, if you didn't know, <laughs> okay, what a fucking legend that we're still. <laughs> it's completely true, folks. Oh, yeah, but it's I true. love that on a watch log he's still hammering that point. God bless Bret Hart. That, <laughs> if, that like I saw someone on Twitter like Renee asked about the match and Brett immediately launched into the story <laughs> that he always goes into. Yeah, that was a real good carry job by me. <laughs> so. Yeah, basically, if you don't know the story, uh, Davy Boy like forgot everything they had planned. He went blank when they went out there. Then he blew up, aka got really, really tired. Brett carried him through the match. It's true. You can watch it. You can kind of see it. Uh, but uh, Brett always talks about how you know that was looked at as Davy's shining moment. But he he always uses the term that it was his shining moment because he carried Davy through <laughs> through the match, and it was this really good match. So yep. it was a great match. Uh, the show itself, Kyle, is something that you wanted to discuss, though, because you think there's some correlation from 92 SummerSlam into present day and actually just, I think, a lot of things that have happened with WWE over the years. Yeah. And before I do that, I just want to talk about one other thing. You know, we talked about how the term Marty Jannetty of the team is misused. The term carry job is misused a lot, too. You know, Shawn Michaels did not carry The Undertaker in the first Hell in a Cell match. They both played their roles perfectly. It's just that Sean's role was bumping around like a madman. Mm. You know, The Undertaker actually played his role very well in that match. Um, that being said, SummerSlam 92 was the definition of a carry job. That is a correct use of the term carry job. I mean, Brett just carried Davy Boy kicking and screaming, and it was like, you know... A parent, you know, holding their kid going through the zoo, man. It, it, it was <laughs> it was all Brett, and it's what led to him getting the title out of nowhere uh, a few months later. So I did want to, though, uh, talk about the legacy of Summer 792, like you mentioned, Ryan, because it's really interesting when you think about it and compare it to today. So Summer 792, for those who don't know, has this incredible dichotomy business-wise. Uh, it set the record attendance-wise for the company— did 80, a legit 80,000. That record stood for 24 years till WrestleMania 32 broke it. But it bombed on pay-per-view, like bombed bad. And that's like really fascinating to me. And if you look at the two components separately, there's a lot of stuff that makes you think of modern WWE. So SummerSlam 92 was really the first time that the name WWE, then WWF, drew. It was not a match that drew that house. 
It was the name WWE. Domestically, WWE was in a lot of trouble in 1992. But over in the UK, it was red hot. And, you know, they started running all those European tours in the early 90s. And that was like their, you know, their big money stuff Mm. in that period. Um, They had, I think, 91 was the first year they went over there. And, well, the first time it was, was actually late 89. Um, you could see those matches on like the world tour tapes. The Rockers work the Rougeos. That's just a random recommendation um, if you haven't seen those. But 91 was the first time they did a European tour proper. And they did that, um, the show that Davy Boy wins the Battle Royal. What's that? Like the Royal Albert Hall show? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then 92, in the spring, right after Mania, they had another big tour. And that's what led the decision to do SummerSlam. But it wasn't a match that led to them doing the record attendance. It was the name WWE. And that's something we see today, right? All the time. It's, right. you know, WrestleMania sells out before or comes close to selling out before the, and a match is announced. It's just because people want to go to WrestleMania. People want to see WWE. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing. This was the first time that really happened. You know, it was unheard of for a show to do any kind of like big business before the main event was announced. Mm-hmm. In that day, yeah. And then on the f- oh, it's it's a good point for sure. Yeah. And on the flip side, you have the show bombing on pay per view. Now, Linda McMahon and I think Triple H has subsequently said as well, try to like laughably put the blame on the fact the show aired on tape delay. <laughs> Folks, the number of people that would have found out the results between the time that they happened and it actually aired in the states was so minimal in 1992. Yeah. Like the idea that that had any real effect on the buy rate is is just not true. It just isn't. Sorry. Uh, The reason the show bombed was twofold. One, it was the first pay-per-view without Hulk Hogan. Mm -hmm. And two, it was the first time, really, Vince McMahon kind of tore up his existing plans and just booked a new card. Do yeah. you remember? That was the SummerSlam you thought you'd never see. Now, were you were watching WWF at this time or no? Right. Uh, not religiously, kind of off and on. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I was fascinated. I think it was a year or so ago. They put all those 92 superstars up on the network. And what I presume are mostly younger fans that did not live through that era were watching it. And they were like, oh, they were like kind of like just, you know joking about like the the characters they saw and some of the feuds that were starting. And then I saw multiple people saying, Hey, wait a minute. They just dropped everything and they're just announcing random matches. (laughs) And for those who didn't live through that, um, originally SummerSlam was going to be held in Washington, DC and was going to be main evented by Randy Savage, Ric Flair as the world title match and Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels doing the first ladder match. Mm Mm-hmm. Once they decided it was going to be England, obviously it made a lot of sense to put Davey Boy Smith uh, in a feature position. So he took Sean's spot. And then they, the Savage Flair program was running on fumes, quite frankly, by the end of the summer. So they threw Warrior in Flair's place. And Flair didn't even work the show, which is like insane. But even like going through the undercard, all these feuds that you see start at the beginning of the summer that normally in any other time period before WWE, like prior to that, would have been blown off or they would have done matches at at SummerSlam. They just didn't happen. It was just all, like, Undertaker was feuding with Berserker. All of a sudden, they announced him and Kamala, who just came out of nowhere. (laughs) Um, Michaels did a heel-heel match with Rick Martel. It was just, it was, it's crazy. I remember watching it at the time. I'm an 11-year-old kid, 
And I and I'm like, what? What is going on here? Because like by that point, I'm kind of I was kind of good. It's like okay, these two guys were feuding on TV. They were going to wrestle at the next pay per view. I kind of caught on to that concept. And they just were announcing what seemed to be random matches. And what do you know? Nowadays, this happens all the time. <laughs> where they ha- it seems they have a plan. They're going in a direction. Vince gets tired of it. He's like, no, this kind of sucks. And they just kind of rebook on the fly. Yeah. And guess what? It doesn't ever do well. Draw well. <laughs> and th- so this was the f- SummerSlam 92, the legacy to me. First time the brand drew well, uh, was able to draw a big house. But at the same time, uh, it did not work on pay-per-view because plans change, brother. Yeah. <laughs> From what I could find here, uh, 92 SummerSlam did 280,000 buys, uh, which was down from 405,000 in 91. Yeah. Yeah. Huge dive in the number of buys. And just uh, to put those numbers in perspective, again, for people who maybe don't know the history, um, the Zahorian verdict had uh, happened right before SummerSlam 91. And to be honest, the fact that that showed it over 400,000 was considered like a miracle at the time. But the scandals kept getting worse uh, for WF to the point that Hogan obviously had to leave after WrestleMania 8. You had the Ring Boy stuff break out. Um, the, the press the WWF was getting over the course of 1992 was just really, really bad. Um, and, and that played a role too. It, it, to be honest, I mean that. I mean that. That, that was also a thing. It, it should be pointed out as well. It just wasn't plans change. Um, it, it was you know the company was scandal ridden at that time too. But uh, I've always thought that you know the plans change did play a role. And it's interesting when you compare it to today. Yeah, it's also interesting when you look at the top four guys on that show with you know Savage and Warrior. Which once again, Randy Savage carrying Ultimate Warrior to one of his best matches, and then Brett and Bulldog. Uh, two of those four guys within a couple of months were gone from the company. Yes. Right? Warrior and Bulldog were out. <laughs> so and and Savage was kind of just put on the shelf, right? Because Vince yeah. thought he was done. He didn't yeah. even work the next year's WrestleMania. Right. So it's uh kind of a bizarre bizarre show to go back and watch when you know what happens right afterwards. But I I had never really thought about that, Kyle. That is that's a really good point. The Rand drew the house, and that kind of became the trend for. <laughs> later I mean, on yeah i mean it, it wasn't the case like subsequently i mean main events still mattered but you know i think you know the mo- modern wrestlemania is that's all you know I, I don't think it's always you know people was talking about, oh my god you would think the wwe would be doing like it's golden era mm-hmm. based on how wrestlemania sells well it's just the brand that sells it's not like a match uh that we do so yeah all right i think we got time kyle for a mailbag segment, let's do two questions from the mailbag. But before we do, have to throw out one more shout out. And this is to our good friends over at Manscaped. And guys, you're going to want to listen to this one. Support for Top Rope Nation is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Men, listen up. Have you ever gone to do a little body hair grooming, but instead of walking away looking freshly cut and ready for whatever or whomever life throws at you, you slice yourself with a blade and come away looking like Ric Flair's forehead in the 1980s. No longer. That's right. You need to check out the newest partner of Top Rope Nation, Manscaped. 
Guys, this isn't some BS ad read where I'm just reading a script and moving on to whatever Kyle and Justin have next on the agenda. No, this is actually legit. I am holding the product in my hands right now as I'm telling you about the great product from Manscaped. The fine folks over there were nice enough to send us the Perfect Package 3.0 set to try out the product ourselves. And I gotta say, you owe it to yourself to pick up this product. Listen to this, their new body hair trimmer, perfectly named the Lawn Mower 3.0, is absolutely insane. That's what I'm holding right now. Here, just give it a listen. That is 7,000 RPMs with quiet stroke technology. This blade is insane, it's super smooth, it's safe. The Manscaped engineering team just spent 18 months designing this electric trimmer. It's water resistant and can be used in the shower. It has an LED light for more precise trimming. And maybe most importantly, so that you don't end up getting color like a 1980s wrestler, it features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. I assure you, everything about this trimmer is smooth. Like I said, I've been enjoying the Perfect Package 3.0 set, which comes with this electric trimmer here, a sweet leather bag for the trimmer, and a whole lot of other goodies for a great price. It's truly a must-have. Everything you'll ever need for male grooming again is right here. No more using the same razor for your face and your nether regions, my god. Who wants to do that, guys? This is the 21st century. Maybe you're looking for something different. That's fine. They have all kinds of other products as well. Check out their shaving mats, foot deodorant, cologne, nail grooming kits, nose hair trimmers, and even breath mints. And here we go. We've got a great deal for you as a listener of Top Rope Nation. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TOPROPENATION. All one word, no spaces, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code TOPROPENATION. Guys, you owe this to yourselves. Check it out. All right, Kyle. Let's, uh, you know, we haven't done this in a few shows. Let's do a couple mailbag questions. If you, if you guys haven't been listening, we are doing mailbag segments. I'd say more often than not over the last few weeks. In fact, we did an entire mailbag show on one of our Monday shows a couple weeks ago. A lot of fun. Check that out in the archives. And one of the big positives of doing these is that if you send in a question to topropenation at gmail.com, you'll, you'll find that in our show description. Uh, if we read the question on the air, we will send you a free Top Rope Nation sticker. Very simple. In fact, uh, this one comes from our friend Randall in Ottawa, Canada. He sent in a question a few weeks back. I sent him the sticker. He told me he got it. He sent in another one. And this one really made my ears perk up, Kyle, because when I saw the subject line, he writes, controversial question if you dare. Uh-oh. <laughs> so he, We dare. Yeah, we're, we're daring, uh, Randall. We're going to read we'll this one. We'll take the dare, I should say. So... I have a question if your group wishes to tackle. He says, I'm a 66-year-old wrestling fan. He's been watching since he was five because of his papa. I listened to numerous podcasts in, my, in his retirement. And he says, since AEW got rolling, I've noticed a trend from many of them. Speaking about the podcasts. Uh -oh. He says, when AEW loses in the ratings, a good number starts searching out excuses for the loss. In one podcast two weeks ago, a well-known commentator said that when results came out blowing AEW away, he immediately looked to see if there was political debate, sports, or anything else going on to explain the results. 
Here's a novel reason maybe NXT's product was superior. He says, question, are the podcasters afraid to offend AEW for some reason, or are some sucking up to them online to try to get a job with them? (laughs) He says, to me, it's a legit question because I've stopped listening to some podcasts because they are so one-sided. What do we think? Okay. The AEW bias thing is something you hear about a lot. It's not like this is the first time it's ever been brought up. Um, I cannot speak for everybody. I try to be objective. I know we all try to be objective on this show. I think we, we joke a lot about the time that, you know, <laughs> I think that's like a kind of a catchphrase. What do we try to be on the show? Objective, right? Yep. Um, I don't know why do they start searching for excuses I don't know. I mean, sometimes some people do seem a little bit biased, like they're rooting a little bit for AEW to win. I can see where some people would get that impression. But that said, I mean, if you can, I mean, if there are, re- you know, the reason that a show does well in the ratings isn't necessarily because it's better. Right. I mean, now if people are just looking to make, like, you know, what did the guy say? Oh, he, he immediately, when AEW lost. He was looking for like what the competition on television was. Yeah, but it really wouldn't make it that much sense that said competition would hurt AEW more, any more or less than it would NXT. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what podcast that was. Um, so I can't really comment on it. You know, I don't feel comfortable saying, "Oh yeah, I heard," because I didn't hear it. If I would have heard it, I'd been like, "Yeah, that guy was totally making excuses." Um, we talked about it, I know, and I think we were pretty forthright that the reason AE or pardon me, NXT did well those couple weeks and beat AEW in overall viewership was they built to a winner take all or you know title for title match, yeah. which was viewed as a big deal. And then we said, well, where do they go from there? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if AEW started winning again, and that's precisely what happened. Mm. So, <laughs> in a big way, I mean, they came back and yeah, really destroyed did. NXT after and the week after. I, and look, I'll be—I've been again. It's my opinion only. You don't have to agree with it. I think AEW is a superior product to NXT. That is a subjective take. Keep in mind. I'll be very—if it, it you disagree, that you're right. I—I I have been pretty. <laughs> up front that I think NXT has fallen off a cliff the last two years. Mm. Generally speaking, I think a lot of the same issues I see on Raw and SmackDown now plague NXT. So I, I don't know. Yeah, there is a little bit of AEW bias, but at the same time, it goes back to what we were talking about with the stuff that WWE just introduced on Raw, right? Mm. And why people are skeptical. It's because they have a bad track record. Yeah. And People really do want there to be alternatives to WWE. And am I personally rooting for there to be an... Yes, I am. I'll be honest with you. I want AEW to succeed. I mean, it helps out the entire industry. It helps us out. We're podcast, you know. Yeah. We are. We want listeners, and we get more listeners when wrestling's clicking and there's something hot going on. And if it's just WWE, I mean, the entire business ebbs and flows with WWE. We want, We want multiple companies having success, you know. And again, I can only speak for our podcast. Randall, if you want to go back and listen to the end of the year, 2019, I was very critical of Dynamite. Oh, yeah. We got into a point where we all of us were thinking that. Yeah, I talked about how it was a show that seemingly had no idea how to click to, with casual viewers. It was just booking to its existing fan base. It, it 
was the way it was being written, uh, it really didn't have much of a hope to expand. Now, they course corrected at the beginning of the year and have been very good, quite yeah. frankly. Um, with the demo stuff, I can see, you know, that's been a big topic of debate. Like, you know, because, you know, NXT was winning the overall viewership. And then all of a sudden, when that happened, there was this... Um, Everyone kept stressing the demo. The, oh, well, the demo is the most important thing, not overall viewership. I can see how that would be taken as being biased towards AEW. Mm. And I thought we were pretty careful in how we discussed that, that NXT did deserve credit for winning the overall viewership. Um, but at the same time, now it's a moot point. Right. Because AEW wins overall and the demo. So Right. And it's a better show. Yeah. So I think, hey, thanks for the question, Randall. That's a it's a thought provoking one. Uh, like I said, we've we've sent Randall his free sticker, but he sent in another good question. So uh, we thought we'd read it on the air. If you guys want to get involved, send a question to topropenation at gmail.com. If we read it, we'll get that sticker out to you. We got time for one more. This comes from our friend Greg in Ohio. Greg writes in, and this is kind of ironic because when he sent this question seven days ago, he didn't know what was going to happen on Raw this week. He says. <laughs> Did the Brett and Austin versus McMahon uh, angles and stories taint WWE product in the last 20 years or so? He says, we seem to be getting away from that now, knock on wood. But before that angle, Austin versus McMahon, there wasn't significant time given to authority figure storylines. He says, it's been a constant since. He says, the McMahons, Triple H versus the company, all of that. Do you think it sticks uh, do you think it sticks once crowds come back, live audience? Or do you think that Triple H, Stephanie, Vince will interject themselves again because of the crowd reactions that they get? So I guess the, the big question overall is, do we think that we're getting away from authority figure storylines? And do you think that those have tainted the business? Now, ironically, Shane McMahon returned to Raw <laughs> on Monday night. We don't really know if that's going to be like authority angle or what, where they're going with that, as we talked about earlier in the show. But certainly the Austin versus McMahon thing encouraged them to do more of that authority versus underdog type thing. So, Kyle, do you think that that has tainted the product at all in the last 20 years? That's a really complex question. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Okay, so there is no disputing how successful Austin McMahon was in the... um, in the WWE kind of narrative of how it overtook WCW and became the worldwide leader that it is today. Won the Monday Night War, um, you know, and is now, and for years, was the only uh, major company in the wrestling company in the United States. There was a point, though, where the authority figure gimmick jumped the shark. I can actually point to a specific point in time. I thought it was WrestleMania 2000, where the show was built around not so much the four competitors in the match, but the fact there was a McMahon in every corner. Yeah, that was a very disappointing WrestleMania. <laughs> that sure. is when I thought the McMahon, the McMahons began overplaying their hand on television. Um, and after that, there became the issue where, if you go back and watch those 98, 99 Ross, Vince would always give to the, you know, usually Austin, or if it was Rock, the performer he was in the ring with, right? Like he would kind of be scared. Great facial reactions. Yes. yes. <laughs> he, he's great. He, he, he was showing ass is, is the insider term. Mm. Well, somewhere, and I think it was around like 
2003, he stopped doing that. And he sort of, like, believed, like, the perception was uh, that he was now the equal of the performers in his company, which is ludicrous, athletically. Yeah. You know, he, he started, like, kind of, bought, like, the Mr. McMahon, like, you know, remember, like, the the build-up to the 1999 Royal Rumble? Those vignettes where Vince was training? Mm-hmm. And it was, like, really tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. That was good, even though the 1999 Royal Rumble sucks ass. But the, those vignettes were good. But then it became a thing where Vince just became kind of a mark for himself. Yes. In subsequent years, and, like, walking out with a huge physique. And, you know, he was the athletic equal of his opponent, which is just, again, it's ridiculous. It was okay when he wrestled Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 19, even though that match was disappointing as a draw. Mm-hmm. Um, Vince has actually never been a great pay-per-view draw. None of the McMahons have um, in terms of that. You know, obviously, Vince is the one who's been put into key positions more so than Shane and certainly Stephanie. Mm. But if you look back at the history of Vince McMahon on pay-per-view, even the match he had with Austin, I've mentioned this on the show before, it did basically the same number of buys as Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Part 56 that month. And that was like the time when WCW really started dying on the vine. Yeah. Um, and th- that's like incredible to look back and, and realize that those shows did basically the same number of buys. It was both in the 450,000 range. Um, but the authority figures needed to go away to answer Greg's question a long time ago. Um, it's funny when you watch old wrestling, like matches were made, angles happened, uh, money was drawn without these TV authority figures. And they kind of don't have them. They have, you know, like the GMs went away. Yeah. I guess, you know, in, in recent years. And that didn't really matter. It's not like it made the product worse. Yeah. Just like it didn't, like, I don't think Kurt Angle, just to use an example, I don't think he, like, necessarily added any value as the raw GM to the product. No. Like, I, think, I don't think Raw would have been better just, or worse without him. All it did is just kind of give him a, a way to explain why matches were happening. That's pretty much it. It's just very indifferent. That's yeah, it's a storyline crutch. Yeah. Essentially. Um, you, you know, I mean, I, I don't like, on the flip side, when wrestlers just come out and, or, like, demand a match and then it happens. It's like, well, what was supposed to happen in the show if they hadn't demanded that match? Yeah. <laughs> like was there just was there just like a it's big gaping hole in the two hour broadcast that oh well you know I know nothing else is set for the next twenty minutes of the show so let's you and I wrestle I mean that doesn't really make sense either um, but <laughs> you, you don't view match from last month we know they've done that a few times yeah oh, yeah, oh, yeah but yeah I, you 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 don't need a McMahon or an authority figure to make the product work right. you don't and. I- yeah, again, I think you could go back 20 years and the McMahons jumped the shark, quite frankly, on TV. They've had their moments. I think they worked opposite Daniel Bryan in that storyline. Yeah. I think – I thought this was an interesting question because it kind of goes very well with something that I – another project that I had just done. I talked about this on the show a week ago. Uh, but I actually went back with uh, our friend Zach Haydorn over at PW Torch, and we rewatched all of the 1999 Steve Austin pay-per-view matches – Kyle, you just mentioned the 99 Rumble and the St. Valentine's Day match in February of 99. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was actually, we had a discussion on the show. It's it's two parts. You can check it out in the VIP section over in PW Torch. It's really good discussion. I had a lot of fun doing it. But at one point, I brought up the fact that, you know, even watching that, I got a little bit of McMahon burnout. But at the same time, I couldn't really fault them for doing it because... 
it had only been, you know, I guess a year and a half by the time you got to that King of the Ring ladder match that they did with the McMahons versus Austin. But I guess what I said on the show was I was looking at it retroactively knowing that Steve Austin's run on top was pretty short. And so I found myself when I was rewatching 99 and seeing him spending all this time with these McMahon storylines thinking like, especially when I, once we got to King of the Ring, there were other people I would have rather seen him in the ring with during a pay-per-view main event than Vince and Shane, you know, but like, it's hard to fault him at the time because it was such a hot angle, but it's a good question by Greg. Cause it does make you wonder since that works so well, is that why they kept going back to it? Absolutely. Uh, have they done too much of it? I think they have done too much of it, but they've had times where it worked. Like you mentioned with Daniel Bryan and everything, but uh, even in the time, in the, in the time, I think by the summer of 99, it was starting to lose some steam. Yeah, it was. And remember, the summer of 99, and obviously since you just went through it, you know this, they took McMahon off TV yes. in the summer. Because the thought was, it had run its course. Yeah. He well, Was it like fully loaded or something? It was the end of an era match mm-hmm. or something? Like if Undertaker lost, Vince was gone? Yes. Right? That's Yeah. So th- there was a thought process that it had run its course then. And it kind of had. Now, a real key was in that 98-99 era, the WWF had no depth. That is true. I, we talked about which, that too. Yeah, which is a big reason that you had to kind of always have Vince because you essentially had Austin, Rock, Foley, Taker, and Kane. Triple and H was still going, like on the come up. He wasn't really established as a main eventer yet. You know, I'm sorry. Who was that? Triple H wasn't even really yeah, established. Right. Yeah, yet. He, he was, was still yeah, on the come boy, up. Were they trying? You, you, um, early in '99, like you watch him in the Rumble. You know, he's still DX Triple H, so he's not really mm-hmm. a main eventer yet. So yeah, it, on top it was. It was difficult for Austin to have challengers that you would really buy, and that's that was one of the big problems with the 99 Rumble is there's all these guys that come out where you're like, none of them have a chance to win. None of these people are going to WrestleMania. And, you know, like they had good wrestlers, but not people that w- you could buy at the top of the card. But it, it did seem like that was the year that they really went all in with the McMahons because that's when Stephanie got involved. Right. Mm -hmm. That's when you started seeing Linda a little bit, Vince, Shane. Like that was when they really started to jump the shark. And that kind of started that formula that we have seen now for 20 years. So 99 was a pivotal role. And in that sense, and with what uh, Greg is asking about, I think. So you go back to then and that's where it all kind of started. And yeah, like I said, they had the idea at that at the next WrestleMania. You know, we're going to book it basically around the fact that there's a McMahon in every corner, wasn't it? Uh Andrew from the Matt Men podcast. I hope he said this on air. I know we had the discussion with him that WWE has basically become not a wrestling promotion, but a show about a family that owns a wrestling promotion. Yeah. I can't remember if that was on air or not, what, but go back. You know, it was about a yeah, month Yeah, I can't or two remember ago. if we were actually recording when we had that discussion, <laughs> but I know we the three of us talked about it. Uh, and he's completely accurate. You're, there was, it became, once you started putting McMahons on the same level of star as your wrestlers, I think it's had a detrimental effect towards the wrestlers. I really do. And yeah. look, it's their promotion. They can do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. Okay, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, they can do whatever the hell they want. They own the company. I just think um, it's not a good idea, quite frankly, because um, this is a company that has not done a great job creating stars over the last 15 years, which is why you see the McMahons constantly being brought back and stars of the past uh, being brought back. Yeah. Yeah, that was episode, I believe, 142, mid-May. We had Andrew on for two shows. You can you can dip into the archives and check those out. But uh, good questions. Like I said, send us a question, toprope nation at gmail.com. We'll get to it on the air. 
And uh, if we read it, we'll send you the free gift in the mail. So with that said, make sure you are following us on all of our social media feeds. We're on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Top Rope Nation. We are on Facebook as well. In fact, we also have a discussion group on Facebook that I'm trying to get more active. We started it years ago, never really took off. Uh, I posted a link to it on our Twitter page. Anyone can join. You can interact with us more on a daily basis. Get some discussions going. Uh, Also, just search it on Facebook. It's Top Rope Nation Pro Wrestling Discussion is the name of the group. We'll add you to the group if you are so inclined. And, of course, wherever you have been listening to your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any shows coming up from us on Thursdays and Mondays. And leave us a rating. Leave us a written review leave a written review we'll read it on the air so with that said kyle it's been great having you back in the saddle hopefully we can uh, work out our schedule and get all three of us back on the air again real soon but uh, i'm sure the listeners enjoyed your return to the broadcast tonight yeah it was great to be back and uh always fun to talk about things the show always picks up when we go back in time oh yeah yes we we love (laughs) that as soon as we hit SummerSlam 92 and the questions (laughs) i began to feel strength you know it's so much <laughs> more exciting have to pour to a drink after that. the podcast here what's that you're gonna have to pour a drink after the podcast now to celebrate yes yes <laughs> good talk good discussion good always good talking with you kyle you can follow kyle on twitter he's at trp kyle i am at ryan drosty d-r-o-s-t-e we'll see you guys on monday morning have a great weekend peace